This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 251. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Jacob Paulson. Howdy, 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 howdy. He's actually here. <laughs> well, do, do, just, do people think I'm like a virtual, like you just pipe in my voice or something? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> no, no, it's just, you know, you've not been as present on the podcast lately and I think there was a day you had a phone call you had to do, you had some business, you know, important businessy sort of things to do, whatever it is that you do. But here you are. So, guys, uh, episode 251 today is titled Off Duty Federal Agent Shoots at Thief and Misses. And we have a whole host of other great news stories to cover on today's episode, including some very critical uh, legislative updates. In fact, one that we were reporting, we were following up on after we talked last week about this and kind of said that, you know, we kind of gave you the all clear, like, yes, all right, this thing going on in Washington State is good to go. And now we're going to kind of retract on that because the state Supreme Court has ruled differently on that matter. And we have a ton of great just, we have like, I think we have six justified save stories today because I just couldn't cut any more of them out. Uh, They're all very valuable. I think they, or at least they have things for each of us to learn from. Um, And then also we've got uh, today or this week's case of the week from Andrew Branca. So we'll, we'll play that, cue that up for you here in just a minute. But today's episode is brought to you by... Frag Out Flavor. I think this is a new one on the podcast. I don't remember doing it before. No, brand new. Yeah. So, Frag Out Flavor. Uh, Really cool stuff, guys. Uh, This is a veteran-owned business, and uh, they have some awesome food flavoring-type products. So, we're excited to have them on the episode today as a as a sponsor, go to. Dude, you totally buried the lead on that one, dude. Like Frag frag Out. Spill the beans. they're not just a veteran-owned company. They also are all about supporting veterans. They donate for, for some of their proceeds to veterans, and it's kind of kind of big thing. That that's their central identity. That's what I. Ha- that's why I have you here today is to back me up, bro. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll I'll add that um, if you if you go to the link that Riley's about to read off, they have a special deal they call the Armed Citizens Package. So you know if that's not intriguing. Ooh, I dig. The Armed Citizens Package. Well, check it out today. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash frag out. F-R-A-G-O-U-T. Concealedcarry.com forward slash frag out. Today's episode also made possible by Citizen Armor. We've talked about Citizen Armor before. In fact, we just got done doing a bunch of uh, body armor panel testing. Um, I don't think that that hasn't gone live yet, right, Jacob? The no, results? it's live. Yeah, it's on our oh, YouTube is it? channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? That's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot I responded to somebody's comment on that the other day. So we tested a bunch of different of the most, you know, kind of current popular brands of body armor panels. And as far as we were concerned, I mean, there's basically two big players, right? Uh, I think the results were pretty telling. And then price is another thing as well. And basically, we love Citizen Armor. Uh, And they performed very well in that test. In fact, it was shockingly good for being one of the thinnest body armor products it had some of the best performance uh, I, I think just holding together like so many of these body armor panels we shot 
<laughs> you were there. You saw it. In fact, I, I got them sitting out in the in the in the pickup in the back of the pickup still. Uh, I should go grab one for an upcoming episode and just so I can show people on the camera like what happened to some of these panels when we shot them. Like some of them got flipped almost inside out. And uh, this isn't armor held up the best. That was actually shocking. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't not not to discredit them. Just you look at it and you're like. This body armor panel compared to this one, this one seems more stout and like it could take more, but this one actually did better. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Amazing yeah, technology. It's all about the construction. Yeah, fanciness. Yep. Worth watching the video on our YouTube channel for sure. That's and we have a podcast listener exclusive coupon. And Jacob's got the details on that. Concealedcarry.com forward slash citizen armor is where you'd go to make use of that. Mm hmm. The coupon code is just. Uh, podcast 10 and that'll save you 10% off there you go I wasn't sure if it was the standard one or not <clears throat> I had to double check like I, I, I was stalling while I was looking podcast 10 podcast 10 save you 10% that's that's a pretty good deal anytime with I'll tell you the margins are pretty slim on body armor too so uh, that's that's a pretty big coupon citizen citizen armor concealedcarry.com forward slash citizen armor podcast 10 is your coupon code for that and then two other things to mention. This week, Guardian Nation Live will be will take will take place on August 30th, which is Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And our guest for this month's edition of GN Live is John Lovell of the Warrior Poet Society. And we're excited to have him on the show. Uh, so hey, Guardian Nation members out there, cue in or tune in. At uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, Thursday, you're not going to want to miss that. If you log into your member's dashboard area and go to the, I think the button's labeled Guardian Live, and the link should be posted there for you to use to log in to the members-only event that we do each month. So it should be a good time, and hope to see you there. And if you're not a member of Guardian Nation, go to GuardianNation.com today and get signed up. Take advantage of all the other amazing benefits. The other thing to mention is that Mantis X who is a product that, which is a product that we are very fond of. Uh, we've talked about, and it's been a po podcast sponsor before. Apparently this week they released a new, really awesome update. And Jacob, why don't you give us a quick rundown on what that is? Yep. One of the cool things about Mantis X is you don't have to buy the new pro a new a new product in order to get the update. It's not like Apple. It's more like Google. So if you already own the Mantis X, poof, you now have the update. It's just the app itself on your phone, that which is free, has received this update. And it's an audio feedback tool. So you go into your settings, you can enable the audio feedback, and now instead of having to look at your phone after each shot or whatever it might be to get you know find out what the diagnosis is, if you enable the audio feedback, it will talk to you. Yeah. Uh, so lifetime updates with Mantis X. That's what you're basically saying. And I think that's amazing of them because it is a product that has from, I've been familiar with Mantis X like you have. I think we discovered them at the very first show that, or shot show, especially that they ever attended. And the product was crude then compared to what it is now, right? Yeah, Night and sure. day difference. And to see how much it's come along. And if you bought Mantis X then, like what, four years ago, five years ago, however long it's been now, maybe not quite that long. seems like it's been a while. Yeah, early 2015. <laughs> it, it, it is totally different now as a product. And and if you bought it then, you still have gotten all the updates since then. Uh, so check out Mantis X. Uh, you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. If you're not already a owner of the product, you, that's where you can find it today to purchase. And those of you that haven't updated your app, go do so because this new update is really cool. 
So I think that's all I've got as far as uh, intro today. Uh, I know there's a lot to, we're trying to get that all out as, as quickly and as, as efficiently as we can. Uh, but it now brings us to our, I would call this our new favorite segment of the podcast because I've seen the comments from listeners uh, quite a quite a few. <laughs> seems like a lot of emails we get from listeners are like, we love the case of the week segment. So we're glad to hear that feedback and we're glad that you like it. And we're glad that Andrew continues to provide these to us for free. And so it is now time for this week's case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca of the Law of Self-Defense. Queuing that up now. Maybe. <laughs> I had it preloaded, but now it's thinking. Stand by. The world of live everything awesomeness technology. Okay, here we go. I just reloaded the... There we go. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This case of the week is provided for educational purposes only. This week's case of the week is not so much a case as it is a cautionary tale. By the way, I'm going to mention a few URLs you might want to plug into your browser, so you may want to be ready to jot those down. They all start the same way, lawofselfdefense.com forward slash, and then usually just one additional word or number. So if you can just remember the first portion, you'll only need to jot down the second portion. Now, I warn students in every class that just because someone has a certain job title, lawyer, cop, firearms instructor, you must not assume that they know a darn thing about use of force law based solely on that job title. I can tell you we lawyers are not taught use of force law in any substantial depth in law school, just a few minutes in first year criminal law. And any lawyer who is not a criminal defense lawyer has no professional need to really know use of force law. Even criminal defense lawyers who may have a lot of experience arguing self-defense cases will generally mostly have experience arguing bad guy cases of self-defense rather than good guy cases of self-defense, and I can assure you they're different. Most criminal defense lawyers might have a handful of good guy self-defense cases in a multi-decade career. By the way, this caution applies not just to lawyers generally, but even to prosecutors, criminal defense attorneys, and criminal trial judges. There was an appellate court decision out of Alaska just a year ago next month, Rossiter v. Alaska, in which a murder conviction was overturned specifically because when the appellate court looked at the trial transcripts, they found that none of those experts at trial, not the prosecutor, not the client's defense counsel, not the trial judge, properly understood Alaska use of force law. Now, cops are actually taught more use of force law in the police academy than most lawyers are taught in law school. The reality of what they're taught, however, is important. Most of what they're taught is not intended to protect the officer himself from personal criminal liability for his use of force. Rather, it's intended to protect his department from civil liability when they are sued for the officer's use of force. Remember, it's the department that has the deep pockets for civil litigators to target, and while the officer likely has qualified immunity from civil suit for acts in the performance of his duties, his department is always potentially liable to a federal Section 1983 suit. 
Firearms instructors are also too often not in possession of really substantive knowledge of use of force law. It's not because they can't be. They certainly can be if they make a diligent effort, as the graduates of our own Law of Self-Defense Instructor Program can attest. It's just that most of them have not had the opportunity to learn this stuff at a deep level. As a result, too many instructors end up in good faith simply repeating mistaken information that they themselves were taught by their own instructors, who in turn received this misinformation from prior instructors and so forth. Again, a person in any of these groups might have a robust knowledge of self-defense law if they've made a diligent effort to educate themselves, rather than simply retelling nonsense they've previously been taught themselves. But you must not assume that they know use of force law based solely on their job title. And here's an excellent example of this out of Michigan in a news article this week involving a purportedly defensive shooting. They managed to get extensive quotes from an actual Michigan prosecutor identified in the article as Benzie County Prosecutor Sarah Swanson. In part, Attorney Swanson is quoted as stating explicitly, quote, Michigan does not have a stand-your-ground law like, say, Florida has, close quote. In fact, Michigan adopted a stand-your-ground law almost identical to that of Florida's, and they did so in 2006, only a year after Florida adopted stand-your-ground in 2005. You'd think a Michigan prosecutor in 2018 would be aware that the state had a stand-your-ground statute for the past 12 years. But according to this article, you'd be wrong. Now, for reference to the Michigan Stand Your Ground statute, you can view the full text of that statute, which is section 780.972, by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash 780.972. No dots or hyphens, just 780.972. Now, many of you may know I don't generally think much of journalists, especially when they cover use of force events or use of force law. And it's possible the journalist who wrote this story got this quote, while wearing her opposite day suit, and the prosecutor said exactly the opposite of what was quoted. But I've seen exactly this kind of ignorance of use of force law by legal experts who ought to know better too many times to believe this simply couldn't have happened. By the way, if you'd like to see the original news article with the quote, you can do that by pointing your browser at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Swanson, just like the TV dinner Swanson. Folks, you need to educate yourselves, assuming that the so-called quote-unquote legal experts around you actually know use of force law is hazardous to your liberty. Now, as it happens, at Law of Self-Defense, we offer two excellent and free ways to educate yourself on the actual law of self-defense. One is to catch our free weekly Law of Self-Defense show at lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. The other is to catch our routine self-defense law blogging over on our Patreon page. Each blog post is freely accessible for a week or so. You don't need to be a paying patron. But after that week, they are locked down for our paying patrons. You can learn more about that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, folks, if you find yourself in criminal court for a use of force event and you're looking at potentially spending the rest of your life in prison... Ignorance of the law will be no excuse, and telling the judge and jury, but my firearms expert told me it was lawful, will carry no weight if what you were taught is wrong. You owe it to yourself to learn this stuff for yourself. And the good news is that it's really not very complicated. There are only five elements of a claim of self-defense, just like there's only four rules of gun safety. It's not 
rocket science. You just need to learn what those elements actually are as a matter of statute, court decision, and jury instruction in your relevant jurisdiction. And you can get a good first step in that direction by using those links, lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show and lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon without costing you a penny unless you wish to contribute. Finally, before I go, I'd like to let everyone know that I am in the process of doing a very detailed review, critique, debunking of this quote-unquote documentary, Rest in Power. If you're interested in contributing to that effort and gaining access to that detailed critique, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Trayvon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you go. Another uh, case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca of Law Self Defense. I saw this actually in a news story, and I thought it was pretty interesting, uh, Jacob, this uh, attorney general this is the person that sh- should be most most familiar with statutes in the state, other than maybe the Supreme Court itself, right, of that state. And they say, hey, uh, we don't have stand your ground in this state. What's up with that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough environment, frankly. Like, I know that we all love to poo-poo on people and point fingers, but this is a horribly tough environment because laws vary so much from state to state. Laws are constantly changing, or at least the interpretation of them is. And it's a thing that people are desperate to understand. And so this creates an environment where all people in the industry, whether you're just the average armed citizen, the instructor, the attorney, the whoever, you start to form opinions and beliefs and you are, you know, you're inevitably going to share those because people are asking questions and that creates a lot of misinformation and it just, you know, spirals. And in this case, you have an attorney general who has, you know, seen enough news stories about Florida, you know, deciding that stands your ground lets you shoot people. That when someone asks him about it, in Michigan, he says, "Oh, we don't, we don't have a stand your ground law like that." In Michigan, you know, he doesn't even know what a stand your ground, stand your ground means, let alone whether or not they have the statute. Uh, so, yeah, embarrassing for sure. Acceptable? No, definitely not. But uh, it's an ugly environment. Yeah, and I, I believe I said attorney general. I- I think I got that wrong. I think it was just a prosecutor, uh, a, a county prosecutor. So I apologize for that. I want to make sure I made that correction. Uh, so I led you down the wrong path. Uh, it, it, yeah, either way, still, like, we expect – Andrew makes a great point. Like, people trust their cop friends and, you know, people that they think have experience in this arena – and if a prosecutor that should be familiar with the law doesn't understand the law, then, I mean, why, why would we assume that a cop understands the law? Um, some cops probably do understand the law better than this prosecutor does. And the crazy thing, and Andrew, I know, would, would back me up on saying this, is there's many civilians, just you know, regular people that aren't even attorneys that understand the law better than a lot of cops and s- some prosecutors like this. Uh, now, mostly because they are familiar with law of self-defense, you know, the book, or the, or they've been through a course that Andrew puts on, or they've even gone through his instructor uh, course. But uh, just because you're an attorney, or a cop, or a prosecutor, or whatever, does not necessarily make you an expert in self-defense law. Anyway, 
Oh, so, yeah, we were doing this episode. I see the comment here now on Facebook about uh, I, I was struggling. I, I wanted to make sure I got the triple S disease correct, Jacob. And you are here now to set the record straight. Shapes, shadows, and sounds. Okay, so I think I did finally get it figured out. And then you, you did. You, I listened to it. You and I did an episode once too, and I we were talking about that. And I I want to say that we maybe added a fourth thing kind of to that. And I don't remember what that was either. Ah, silhouettes. I don't know. Yeah, shape, shadows, and sounds are the ah. three that I have always been saying for you know the last decade. You know, <laughs> I, I call it the the American triple S disease: the tendency to shoot at shape, shadows, and sounds. And so, yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. And we've had a number of instances and examples of that uh, that we featured on the podcast recently. Anyway, all right. So moving on, we're going to get now to our news stories for today's episode. Uh, as always, if you want to check these news stories out for yourself to find the sources of where we pull this stuff from, you can go to the show notes of today's episode. And I have recently started making, and I'm going to go start going back uh, and doing this. You know, I'll do little batches of this at a time, Jacob. Uh, this is probably news to you, but I'm going to start creating short links for all of our episodes so that if you want to go back and review a uh, the, the show notes for a particular episode, or you just want to quickly get to a link of an episode uh, through our website, you can just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode and the number. So today's today's episode and and the uh, associated show notes, you can just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 251. And that will get you to today's episode's show notes. So the first story in uh, today's episode is... Uh, it's probably on a lot of people's minds. Uh, this is recent news. It just happened on Sunday afternoon down in Florida, Jacksonville. And uh, basically we had a, a, a mass shooting, uh, an active shooter event that took place there uh, following or during some sort of video game tournament. It was a Madden, uh, you know, like the Madden NFL, NFL video game, which I, I've played. It's been a few years. It was probably like Madden 2005 or something. <laughs> but uh, So there's this big, massive tournament. And apparently the shooter won it in like 2017, but it wasn't going so well for him on Sunday. He got upset for whatever reason. Motives are still not entirely clear because he committed suicide, uh, but he opened fire and two two other people uh, besides the suspect were killed and I believe nine others in, were wounded. So a pretty uh, tragic uh, and sad end to this, uh, what should have been a happy and, and fun event going on there in Jacksonville. Um, and yet we have another one of these uh, mass shootings that have occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, so some comments that are getting thrown around. People are talking about, you know, the security for these esports events and how it's gener- relatively lax and we need to beef it up. Also, what I was thinking about is how different the conversation would be if this video game tournament had been like Call of Duty or some sort of video game in which firearms sure. are used, right? We're, this happens to be an NFL video game where we're you know putting together teams and trying to win football games, and so you know no one's talking about that. But you know just just that little tweak you know could have could have made the story really no way different. But the conversation coming out of it would have been significantly different uh, if it had just been a different video game. So anyway, that's something that's been on my mind. But yeah, the, apparently the shooter was eliminated from the tournament, and he took a handgun and started shooting. So I guess this yeah. means we should outlaw you know, public esports and um, all handguns in the hands of anyone who plays video games. I don't know. No, just the guns, Jacob. Just the guns are evil. 
All right. Oh, sorry. We right. Just, we just need more gun control. <laughs> right. I'd right. love. Yeah. You know, someday someone's going to take little clips of our episodes, right? And they'll totally take things out of context just to like nail us to the wall. They're like <laughs> Riley said on the podcast, we just need more gun control. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob thinks that we should only have bolt action handgun. <laughs> Um, something interesting that I, I noticed in this news story, and this this according to WJLA.com, which is uh, one of the local news affiliate stations there in Jacksonville. And apparently, right before the shooting began, uh, there was reports that there was a laser dot that appeared on the chest of one of the competitors. And then uh, immediately following thereafter, the shots uh, began to, to, to occur. And uh, I just thought that was... Uh, it was an interesting detail. I don't know what else to say to that. Just I thought that was an interesting detail. Probably um, someone in the audience with a laser pointer having a good time. Who knows? Well, I wonder. I mean, they they, they said it was right before the shots first uh, began to be fired, and I just made me wonder if this guy had his gun out, nobody had seen it yet, and he had a laser sight on it and was you know aiming at this initial person. Sure. You know, I don't know. It just was kind of interesting. I've never heard anything quite like that before in a, an event like this. You, you talked about security for this event. I, I, this is, a, this is, it's not just video game events. It's any time that you are in any large public arena or place or event. Security is whether that's security that's uh, put in place by the event uh, uh, organizer or just you being responsible for your own security. And of course, that should always be the case. You know, maybe they have some policy in place. Uh, maybe they weren't doing that here. I think that's probably some of the implications of what they're suggesting is that, well, you know, maybe they should have been having uh, metal detectors and stuff at the entrances before they let people into this event. I'm, okay, whatever. That's for those event organize, organizers to figure out. And I don't necessarily think that that solves... Uh, it may have prevented this, I suppose, but I mean, that's not the issue. The, the guns or whatever is not necessarily the issue as it is that uh, we, we have to be responsible for our own physical uh, security, right? Um, but there is an obligation, right, that, that someone has when they organize an event or when they allow a large number of the public to enter onto a premise, right? When I go to a, a baseball game in downtown Denver, sure. th- and I'm not a specific, especially when I'm not allowed to bring my own firearm, but even if I was, it wouldn't matter. There's an obligation when you're charging and I'm paying a ticket to get in that you're going to, to some degree, be responsible for and proactively take measures to... Um, ensure my security and my safety at that, at that place. I say that, so, that, that is, is doubly so if they have a no weapons policy. Oh, doubly so for right? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. yeah, even, even more so for sure. But in the, in this case, I don't know uh, how many people were there for all we know. We're talking like there were 20 people participating in this tournament and there were, th- you know, each of them had like one moral support. I, mean, I, I have no idea how many people were there, but uh, to your, you know, I, I think, yeah, I don't. I don't need to say more than what's been said, but I do think there's an obligation that's in place when you, even as an employer, like if we have an office space and we, if I have employees come to work each day, I have a certain degree, and we could argue about how how much is, of it is my responsibility, but I have at least some degree of responsibility to ensure their safety when they're at work each day, mm-hmm. and that doesn't matter if you're a restaurant or a plumbing a plumbing you know office, like it's just part of the deal. Yeah, I, I agree. But once again, you know, I mean, yeah, 
I, we, we have to take some responsibility into our own hands. Uh, be, be mindful of exits. Be mindful of where you're positioning yourself. Uh, be observant. And, uh, you know, if it's true that this person had his gun out and uh, had a laser sight aimed at somebody's chest just before he started pulling the trigger, who knows how long that was out. Uh, obviously long enough for somebody to take note of the laser. Um, you know, be observant and maybe you can step in and prevent something from, from getting out of hand. It's mentioned here in a comment that uh, they're talking about mental health because apparently this individual had some sort of mental health uh, issue in the past or some sort of history there. Uh, and I, I do think that's a relevant conversation to have. We're, we're going to move on from this uh, topic at this time, but uh, this is definitely something that's on the minds of a lot of people that uh, we see again and again, a lot of these types of events perpetuated perpetuated by or, or performed by those that have a history of mental illness. And uh, I, I don't know what all the answers are on that. I'm not an expert in mental health by any means, but uh, it is a conversation that's worth having for sure and should be looked at. Well, obviously one direction a lot of times these types of events or where the where the conversation tends to lead us is into matters of gun control. And we've got a number of uh, stories uh, about that today. But this is an interesting one here, Jacob. This is on Reason.com. Title is ACLU sticks up for the NRA? Question mark, exclamation point. And and that is a bit of a surprise because uh, the ACLU has made it clear that in their mind, and this is funny, right? Because it's the American Civil Liberties Union, right? So like they should be protecting civil rights of Americans, And I think that by nature includes for sure anything in the Bill of Rights, (laughs) right? You know, the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, it should include anything in the Constitution, really. Uh, But in their mind, the Second Amendment is a collective right rather than an individual right. Aren't civil liberties about individual rights, too? I don't know. I just find it really interesting, this... Their, their standpoint on uh, what they think the Second Amendment is and what it means. But interestingly enough, going on in New York right now, uh, there's basically you've got the the governor of New York that's trying to limit the NRA's power. All right? And the ACLU is actually standing up for the NRA. What did you, what did you make of this story? Um, the, the link I liked the best is the, the blog post on the ACLU website. So that, that's the one I, you know, in the show notes, yep, I'd encourage It is you in the show notes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's what's going on, right? The, the governor of New York starts to threaten uh, businesses, banks and insurance companies specifically uh, with regulation, with, you know, with being penalized essentially if they do business with the NRA. So letters go out, phone calls are made and supposedly there, you know, the NRA has evidence of other kind of, you know, under the table threats that were made to these organizations saying, you need to cease doing business with the NRA because, and if you don't, we will come after you using our regulatory authority to penalize you. Um, you know, that, that's things like potentially increasing taxes or, you know, taking away grants or funding or this, that, or the other thing, right? There's a lot of things that a governing body of the state of New York can do to make it difficult to be in business as a company. Uh, and so these threats are, were supposedly made. Um, certainly, we know that the, the governor did tell these people to stop doing business with the NRA. But whether or not, you know, how detailed these th- these accusations are of the threats that were made by the governor to these institutions, we don't know. But what the ACLU is saying is, hey, listen, 
we're we're standing up for the NRA because it doesn't matter if it's the NRA or if it's Planned Parenthood. It does, it really doesn't matter. An advocacy group, a lobbyist organization that's advocating for something that is in fact legal conduct. In this case, the use of a firearm. They have a right to to do business, to exist, to be around, and and you can't use your regulatory authority to penalize businesses that do business with an advocacy group. And if we allow this to stand, right? If if we if we let this continue to to happen then it's opening the door for any state out there to go after and use the authority they have to penalize companies who do business with any particular uh, group, you know, NRA or others. Um, in fact, here's a great quote. They said, substitute Planned Parenthood or the Communist Party for the NRA. And the point is clear. If Kumo can do this to the NRA, then conservative governors could have their financial regulators threaten banks and financial institutions that do business with any other group whose political views the governor opposes. The First Amendment bars state officials from using their regulatory power to penalize groups merely because they promote disapproved ideas. So that's pretty dang clear. So the NRA has, has filed a suit against the state of, of New York, and the ACLU has filed a you know friend, basically, kind of clause, or I don't know what it's called, it's somewhere in this article. Amicus brief. Yeah, an amicus brief to say, hey, we, we're, we're with the NRA on this one. We, we concur. We agree. Uh, here's a quote from the brief that the ACLU uh, has, has submitted. It says, uh, this would set a dangerous precedent for advocacy groups across the political spectrum. Public officials would have ready-made playbook for abusing their regulatory power to harm disfavored advocacy groups without triggering judicial scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It's really quite fascinating. There's even a comment here from Anita uh, viewing on Facebook. The ACLU has finally made the connection that that our Second Amendment rights are infringed, that when our first Second Amendment rights are infringed upon, theirs can be as well. Uh, that is kind of the the big takeaway, and you basically quoted that as much, Jacob, from uh, their their own blog. Uh, that it, it, it's I I think it's amazing to see them make kind of this. I, I see it as a bit of a one eighty uh, in their think, even though they are I think still wrong in believing that Second Amendment is a collective right. But just the fact that they are not being hypocrites on this sort of thing, because can you imagine the outrage if you had a governor of a state that was threatening the same, making the same sorts of threats like Governor Cuomo is um, to you know banks and other businesses and things that you know are tied with or doing business with the NRA? Imagine if that was happening to like like they use the very example to Planned Parenthood, which I mean that's a controversial organization as well. Uh, and I mean that that just that says it all right there. So I oh, think if it was, yeah. Imagine if it was the LGBT something you know advocacy group, and it was the same thing, right? Like we would yep. all be up in arms. So I I'm with you. Like we can disagree with the ACLU's um, interpretation of the Second Amendment, but based on this, we can't call them hypocrites. Yeah. No. This is I got to give them props for sure. Bravo to the ACLU for your stance on this particular issue. So good stuff. All right. Keep it up. We'll, we'll keep everyone posted on this uh, issue as it continues to move forward through the court system. Speaking of courts, Washington State Supreme Court overturned something that we talked about last week on the podcast where we mentioned that a judge uh, throughout a, pet- a petition to have placed on the ballot for the November a um, an initiative which it's it's to raise the legal age to buy semi-automatic rifles to 21 in the state of Washington. They had like over 200,000 signatures on this petition. 
Uh, it would mandate training, enhanced background checks, and waiting periods in order to obtain guns. So be other than just raising the age to 21. So there's actually quite a bit in this uh, initiative that uh, they, they were petitioning to get put on the ballot. And so last week we reported that a judge uh, said that the petition did not follow the rules, that it you know couldn't be allowed to proceed, and so it wasn't going to be on the ballot. Well, this went to the state Supreme Court, and the uh, the chief justice here said this, it, the state law does not allow for pre-election judicial review of the form, process, substance, or constitutionality of an initiative petition. Well, that's interesting because that is not <laughs> how it works in a lot of other states. I think that's kind of why, I mean, that's amazing if state law doesn't allow that. That's kind of the reason why you have courts is to make sure that uh, processes and, and rules and laws are followed when you uh, do anything in the judicial or in the legislative process. So if they have something specific in the statutes that does not allow for judicial review of the form, process, substance, or constitutionality of a petition, then that's that's just really fascinating to me. Wow. Like maybe they ought to look at that piece of, of the uh, – of their statute. But so it is looking as of right now, because like I said, this is the state Supreme court. It's doubtful. This goes any further than this. In, in my opinion, uh, this will be on the ballot in November where people will be voting to raise the purchase age on semi-automatic rifles to require certain mandated training, enhanced background checks and waiting periods. So there you go. Washington, and, Washington and required firearm storage. Oh, that's right. I remember reading that somewhere else, but it did, I did not. Uh, it's part of the same. same it, yeah, it's in that same paragraph or second. I, I think this is yeah. a very dangerous gamble, frankly, mm-hmm. um, by the pro or the books me by the anti-gunners, because I think that this will lose. I think there's so much packed into this initiative that it, they can't get wide enough support for this. I think it will fail and they'll have a sense for where the citizens of Washington stand on this. The other thing that uh, I found interesting in this article, Riley, and now my computer's like froze and I can't pull it up. But it was interesting to compare the amount of money that was donated by different organizations to support this ballot. And this would be an interesting like mm. research piece for you and I to do one day. Uh, but it's almost always this way where you look at these initiatives and you always have, you have the two sides of the debate, right? And you have the, the pro-gun and the anti-gun side. And the anti-gunners, they raise usually 10x the capital. Uh, they have so much more money. They usually get uh, Bloomberg behind them. Oh, yeah. Bloomberg contributed $250,000 just to this, the, the effort to get the petition signed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and and you look at all the other money that was raised and this, that. And this. Anyway, it, it's pretty disproportionate. Almost always, and certainly in this case, the anti-gunners raise 3 to 10x the revenue in yep. these, these battles. They, they have raised $4.3 million. And uh, so far, at least according to this article, what we see is a hundred thousand from the NRA to oppose the and measure. Eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand, but yep, yeah. some other group. So um, do the math on that: millions versus a hundred k. You know, like anyway, I always find that an yeah. interesting little tidbit that uh, the anti-gunners are always have a lot more money to throw at this, and so despite that, when they lose, that's got to sting. And, and why why is that, do you think, that they are so much more effective? It, it seems. This, this is definitely something we see in a lot of other similar uh, cases, you know, where we have a, a, a controversial measure, a vote, an initiative, whatever it is going on. Why do, why do you think that Bloomberg, Mayors Against Guns, or whatever they're calling themselves now, every town, blah, 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 why do you think they're so much better at throwing money at these kind of things than, than we are? I don't think it's a matter of who's better. I think it's a matter of what you think is required to win. Uh-huh. So 
I think that if we thought more money was required to win as a, as a group, you know, I'm speaking broadly in terms of pro-gun rights people, we would go get that money. But we have track records that suggest that we can win without getting $2.3 million on this ballot initiative. Yeah. Don comments or asks, does that mean the age to join the military would change to 21 also in Washington? And I would say no. Uh, and actually, this initiative is specific to the purchase of a semi-automatic rifle. Uh, and uh, purchasing has nothing to do with a military, whether in the reserves or otherwise, um, you know, member getting, being issued a uh, semi-automatic or fully automatic weapon for that matter. Uh, and I, I see the LOL as well. So, I mean, yeah, it, obviously probably a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's that's not even what the issue is about, right? The issue is about control. The issue is about uh, whatever they think is the new hot-button issue. And where did this whole thing start? It started with the uh, uh, Florida shooting, right? Uh, with Parkland. It started there because you had an 18-year-old kid that was able to 19. buy, or 19, yeah, that was able to buy this AR and go and commit this heinous act. And so thus, it, it's the new it's the new hot button thing that they think will be the winning platform to finally get the kind of gun control that they wish to pass. Yeah, it's about low-hanging fruit. You always go after the lowest-hanging fruit. Yeah. Well, in the words of uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, I, I, was he st- is he still the mayor of Chicago? If well, he I'm- is, I don't remember because it's irrelevant. But I remember when he was uh, working in the Obama administration, he said something about like not wait, not 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 ever allowing a good crisis go to waste, and that's what happens. That's this is the same uh, uh, play out of the playbook: is you have a crisis and you take advantage of that. So. Anyway, all right, so next story. Uh, this one's pretty cool because it features one of the instructors in our instructor network out of Sacramento, California. Sacramento.cbslocal.com reports California legislators consider tightening state gun laws. Now, we've reported on this for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm not going to hit on this too heavy in today's episode, but we just wanted to point out that uh, give a little some love and some props to our instructor, John Kennedy who is the co-owner of Laguna Guns and Accessories in Elk Grove, California. Uh, he's quoted in this article in a couple of places, and we appreciate the, the good work that he is uh, doing down there or over there, whatever. So uh, we kn- just as a quick summary, if you've missed it, there, the, the gun control bills that they are looking at would be also similar to Washington, increasing, and it would be, the, it would be increasing all firearm purchases to 21, to the age of 21. It would ban more, it would ban the sale of more than one gun per month. And that's a little bit more specific than some of the other things I've seen where they've, I, I think I even asked the question in the podcast and I don't think anybody ever answered me was, it, were they talking about transaction or gun? And this is saying no more than one gun purchase per month. So that's, that's pretty scary. I think implement a lifetime gun ban for a person admitted to a mental health facility I wonder how what some health mental health professionals and or individuals that struggle with some things how they feel about a lifetime ban on that implement a lifetime ban for anyone convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence. Woo. Yeah, now domestic violence is not cool, but when we're talking about misdemeanor, any sort of misdemeanor, I think a lifetime ban on guns is pretty pretty harsh. And we've covered that before on the podcast too. We've talked about some other similar type issues in other uh, states in the past. So that's uh, what they're looking at in California. They've got, I think, a little more than a week to, uh, uh, or is it this Friday? It's either this Friday or it's next Friday. 
it might be this next this coming Friday where the se- this current legislative session closes so they have a couple of days to uh, decide whether to take action on these bills or not so yep not cool yep all right so way to go John Kennedy and if you're in the central California area you might consider hitting him up you you can go to california.concealedcarry.com to see any courses that he has or any of our other instructors in California have listed uh, on the site there. And that, I don't know how many people are actually aware of that, Jacob, as far as pretty much just about any state. Now, we don't have instructors in all states, so this isn't going to work for, for all, you know just any state. But if you, if you want to try it, you can go to whatever your state is, .concealedcarry.com. And uh, if we got instructors and courses going on in your area, you should be able to see them listed there. So yeah. Yeah. Colorado.concealedcarry.com, Texas.concealedcarry.com, Florida, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> NBC12.com reports Montana governor stands by semi-automatic weapons ban comment. I'm letting you take the lead on this one. Yeah, so long story short, uh, recently the governor of Montana was quoted as having said that he would support the ban of certain semi-automatic firearms. And he and then, you know, he continues on to eventually clarify that he means, you know, things that have mag capacity more than 10, things that are not used in hunting, like those AR15s for example. And this most recent uh, article is basically saying that when, when asked, hey, you know, you said this, you know, recently, like, did you mean it? He said, oh, I meant it. Yeah, I, w- I would totally support that. Uh, now, he is, this is a, a Democratic governor, which, you know, for whatever that's worth, uh, we certainly have Democratic governors out there that do protect well, the Second Amendment. They trend towards being anti-gun a lot of they times. Trend, <laughs> yes, they do trend. That's a good summary. And in this case, uh, where you might have previously felt pretty safe in Montana relative to your administration, you might now be thinking, oh, crap, maybe we elected somebody who's not going to defend the Second Amendment the way I interpret it. And I think that would be a fair concern. Yep. Uh, this is I, I think he's, you know, in the article touches on this uh, as far as there's there's some quotes here from, you know, some anti-gunners and pro-gunners alike. But uh, uh, some of them are suggesting that he is gearing up for a presidential run in 2020 and that he is just trying to cater to uh, the the coastal areas as far as starting to set. He, he's trying to create that dialogue and make it appear as though he is, uh, you know, anti-gun to, to cater to those votes. Because if he, if he took the stance as a Montana governor, and it's fascinating to me, by the way, Jacob, for, for a Western state that's more, more rural than it is urban by far, Montana is a huge state. And typically, those types of states trend towards having Republican governors, right? Generally, generally. But Montana is a is a unique place as far as in the last I don't know how many years they've tended to have more Democratic governors than they have Republican ones. Uh, and and it's not this is not a, a D versus R issue that I'm trying to get it get at. It's just it's just interesting to me how how some you know like we see that kind of with New Mexico as well. We were talking about this last week, I think, Math or yeah, Matthew and I. It's just interesting. But he definitely would struggle to get elected in a state like Montana if he said he was anti-gun. Now he's at the end of, or getting close to the end of his second term, and it's like, it doesn't matter so much what I say now as far as my state. I'm not getting another election, so I want to be president. Now i got to start saying the good stuff. Yeah. He wants those every town dollars. He's looking forward. (laughs) 
Well, his true colors are now shining. You know, it's it's fine if that's if that's how somebody actually feels like within themselves, but they recognize because of their constituents, they want to represent their constituents, and they stay true to 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 their constituents in that in that regard. Okay, props to you at least to, to that extent. But clearly, you've been a hypocrite all this time. Yeah, yeah. org uh, reports what? Oh wait. That we, we we dropped that story. My my bad. I didn't uh, cut that one out. Sorry, guys. That's one we had to cut because of time. Oregon retailers can't bar gun sales based on age. The Bureau of Labor and Industries uh, suggests so. Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries, or BOLI, uh, this according to OregonLive.com, issued a memo this week. Now we've reported on this. Where Oregon, where well, in Oregon, uh, there's been some things going on, but specifically some retailers like Walmart. And now this is not just in Oregon, but uh, but Walmart has recently, and I don't know if I've seen this yet personally. I don't know if I've seen this. At, I've, I've been in a Walmart. I bought ammo recently there, but I don't remember seeing a sign posted saying I had to be 21 or anything to buy the ammo. But apparently, you know, Walmart's uh, a number of and a number of other retailers uh, have had this institute this policy now of requiring you to be 21 to buy a gun or buy ammo. Right. So Oregon. Yeah. Well, so, so basically what we have here is that a, uh, the the Bureau of Labor and, and, and Industries has said, wait a minute, you can't discriminate against people based on age to, you know, when the constitution and the, and the state law says this, you, you know, it's not all not all that different than discriminating against somebody for religion or or sex or any of those sorts of things. So right. this is kind of interesting. Law says that that someone ages eighteen plus can buy a rifle, and uh, then they can. And now, the, now I will add that the, the Bureau of Labor and Industries is not just randomly wake up and say, "Huh, we can't let Walmart do this." This happened because an eighteen year old from Deer Island, Oregon, filed a complaint with the state after a Walmart store refused to sell her a rifle or ammunition because she was younger than 21. So this mm-hmm. is because there's a citizen out there who filed a complaint and forced the state's hand into making a decision. Yeah, which is fantastic. You know, that's the way, I mean, and actually I, I'm pleased to see this is solved outside of the court system. This is oh, it's, it's going to court, right? Well, I, I know that, but, but I think it's pretty cool that a state agency, you know, how often do we see state government agencies that are afraid to get involved in, in issues like this with, with Second Amendment issues and, and so forth? We rarely see a state agency, except for where they're trying to ban something. <laughs> we rarely see it on the other side where an agency says, wait a minute, you guys can't do this. I don't know. Just just my observation. So um, Walmart, it does say here, will defend its policy. Um, they said they, they stand behind their def- decision and plan to defend it. We are preparing for the November hearing. So it's going to be, go before a judge uh, before, the, uh, before this, this judge. They will have this hearing and see where it goes from there. So this is an interesting one because I, I've, I've said a number of times, I'm sure on the podcast, where like generally I believe, because I'm, I'm a freedom-loving individual, I generally believe that a person or a business should be able to do business or whatever in, in, in however way that they feel they, they should, you know, that that's right for them. There's some reasonable restrictions, obviously, you know, I mean, uh, and, and those have all been ruled on in, in court cases. I would probably say, you know what, Walmart, 
you know what? That's the way you want to be. That's the way you want to run your business. Uh, okay, whatever. Knock yourself out. And you know what? We have a right as buyers to not do business with Walmart. Um, and it's disappointing to see Walmart that generally has been gun friendly in the past now suddenly kind of starts going this mm, not so gun friendly you know direction. Uh, but uh, but this is interesting because they're kind of saying that hey, this is a Second Amendment issue. Um, and it's me- meaning that if you are 18 or 19 or 20, you, you, other than handguns, and I still don't know if I understand the handgun issue, Jacob, as far as why we restrict, uh, uh, you know, younger than t- 21 on handguns, but, uh, yeah, this is discrimination against a person over a constitutional matter because of age. And almost any other, this is kind of the same thing as the ACLU to some degree, that, that whole ACLU story, as far as like, they recognize that if we can restrict, if businesses, for instance, can restrict a person based on whatever reason, because of a gun related matter, then maybe that could be implemented in other areas as well against other groups or classes of people. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, whether or not Walmart should have the right to do things like this, I don't know. And I, nor do I know that I entirely care. Because to your point, I can go spend my money elsewhere. But if the state has law, in this case, the state constitution that says that certain people can do certain things and age is a protected uh, thing against which companies cannot discriminate, then this, I would say this is definitely discrimination. Yeah. All righty. Now on to this is the NRA ILA again, NRAILA.org uh, shares a story here. University of Utah instructor ostracizes concealed carriers. This story has, I've, I've seen this a number of places on various social media met- networks. Uh, this really got my attention because this just seems so ludicrous. Basically what happened here at the University of Utah, which is right there in Salt Lake City in Utah, um, you had a graduate assistant instructor that was teaching a class And they put together their syllabus, and one of the policies in their syllabus for that class was, if you are a concealed carrier, if you have a gun, then I have designated a special zone for you. (laughs) And this zone is a three-foot by three-foot taped square on the floor in the very back of the classroom. No desk, no chair, nothing. That's where you get to go if you bring a gun to class. Welcome to my class. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, you know, here, here, here's the cool thing. I think the, the way this is worded is very important. This is yes. what this, this is. And by the way, just to clarify, because this is really upsetting me every time I see the headline. <laughs> this person is a graduate teaching assistant. So every time I see, you know, another newspaper cover this story and say, you know, professor or university instructor, I'm like, eh, they're a graduate teaching assistant. Anyway, that's, here's what it says in the syllabus. Concealed carry is protected under your Second Amendment rights. However, because the University of Utah reserves the right to restrict elements of the First Amendment on campus to specifically sanctioned free speech zones, I am reserving the right to restrict elements of the Second Amendment in my own classroom. And it it goes on from there and it gets worse. It says, if you feel that is somehow at all appropriate, if you feel that it is somehow at all appropriate to bring a gun to class, hint, it is not. This is absurd, antisocial, and frightening behavior. End parentheses. You are restricted to spending your time in class in my Second Amendment zone, a three by three taped square on the floor in the very back of the classroom, 
it will be shared with all other gun carriers. This zone also does not include a desk because desks are reserved for students who respect the personal and psychological safety of their classmates and instructor. End quote. So before I bury the headline too much further, it's worth noting that this dude, he ain't teaching no more. <laughs> the university was not cool with this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, said, yeah, it says here that the instructor was forced to redact the syllabus and apologize to students. Officials also removed the instructor from any teaching this semester. Doesn't mean that they, apparently, according to that, that they might not be back in the future um, teaching. It doesn't mean that they were kicked out of the university, just that they are not teaching this semester. But they, you know, had to suffer some some sort of uh, punishment as it relate as it uh, relates to this ridiculous policy that they had in their class. Two two of my favorite quotes from that policy. This is absurd, antisocial, and frightening behavior. And desks are reserved for students who respect the personal and psychological safety of their classmates and instructor. First of all. What's really funny about this is I can see any student that walked into that class that was carrying concealed and they read this policy or this was explained to them at the, on the first day of class or whatever you know might have happened. I can just see them being like, <laughs> jokes on you. Concealed is concealed, buddy. <laughs> you know, like, like, okay, like, how are you going to know, you know? Uh, like I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have even done anything other than I would have filed, uh, a complaint with the university, but I would, I would not have said a single thing in that class. I would have just been like, yeah, okay. Like I'm going to go stand over there. Yeah. I'm carrying right now. You have no idea. That's the whole point. Um, the, the other irony is that that class is probably safer because those people are there (laughs) and they, this, this, student instructor talked about it, you know, being a, an issue of personal and psychological safety. Antisocial. I don't know. I think we're pretty social people, Jacob, and we carry guns. So I don't, I you just called me social. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm definitely rel- relatively antisocial, but, uh, it, you know, th- this, this crap went down because a student did have an issue. He did contact somebody Yep. It actually happened to be a, uh, a representative, a legislature, who then contacted the university, told the university what was going on. Now, here's here's the interesting part to me. This this story came out, about, and then about a day or two later, we saw a story out of the university uh, university in Kansas. Now, Kansas recently legalized campus carry, and we have a uh, university professor in in Kansas who added a two page policy to their course syllabus, prohibiting the bringing of a firearm into that particular professor's classroom or anywhere where the professor is present. And so far, we've not seen the University of Kansas do jack squat about it. About it. So I find it really interesting to kind of contrast these. And we might yet, you know, we can follow up on that. And that's not one of our stories listed here in today's podcast. But you have very relatively similar incidents that take place at the University of Utah and this university in Kansas. And the University of Utah is like, whoa, uh, not cool. You're out, dude. So the University of Utah sticks to their their guns, if I can use the pun, and you and so far the University of Kansas has done nothing. Yeah. It's just watching blindly. Well, with, regardless of how the administrators at University of Utah feel about guns, uh, their hands are tied anyway because state law in Utah is very clear uh, on this matter. So as it is in Kansas. Yep. 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 <laughs> you know, so, so I guess that's my point. Is it's like you know we're about to the rubber's hitting the road in these two states. Yeah, we, we just talked, I think, in last week's episode about uh, that issue with the three uh, professors in Texas 
that have had an issue with that state law and uh, how that's going. It's not going in their favor. So <laughs> anyway, ATF data undercuts claim gun-controlled cities get guns from surrounding states. This is according to Breitbart.com. And uh, AWR Hawkins, who I think I, I, I really enjoy just about anything AWR Hawkins puts out. I think he does a pretty, pretty good job uh, with some of his reporting on gun-related matters. Um, ATF data undercuts claims that criminals in gun-controlled cities are getting the majority of their guns from surrounding states. The left has long claimed the failures of gun control in cities like Baltimore or Chicago can be chalked up to lax gun laws in surrounding states, but the ATF's latest data defeats such claims. And we've got some interesting data coming soon ourselves from the FBI. Um, uh, not the ATF, but from the FBI. So we'll report on that when it becomes appropriate to do so. It's pretty exciting stuff. The Baltimore Sun reports that the ATF was asked to trace the origin of 8,600 8, guns from the crime scenes last year. The federal agency was was able to determine where nearly 5,900 of the firearms were sold and nearly half of those were purchased in Maryland. The ATF found that 47% of the 5,900 firearms were purchased in Maryland where assault weapons are banned, high-capacity magazines are banned, and where would-be handgun purchasers are required to submit fingerprints to state police for a registration database. Um, I feel like we talked about this last week. Maybe this somehow slipped into our outline from last week. Um, I, don't, I don't remember. It's... It's the same old story here. Now, it, obviously, this is one of those things where, you know, there's a headline somewhere else where the anti-gunners have a headline that says something like, ATF confirms <laughs> that, that more than half of True. firearms are, you know, are coming from states with lax gun laws. Yeah. So this is one of those where you can point at it and you know, kind of twist the narrative however you want to twist it. True. Uh, so I, I, That is me, true. Like, oh, the, the, okay. the big thing from this story, though, was that they also discovered that the average number of years that the firearm was, you know, possessed or since its time of purchase, original purchase till the time it was used in a crime was 12 years. Now that is probably that, that is the most, I think telling thing out of this whole story and out of all this data is because we're even looking at laws uh, such as in Washington, that's that part of that initiative where they want to have mandatory waiting times before you can pick up the gun that you just went through this lengthy background check to get. And the same sort of thing in California. And California is looking at, you know, only allowing you to buy one gun per month. That's basically the, not any different than a waiting period. It's a 30-day waiting period. <laughs> you can only get one every 30 days, right? And yeah. what they'd have you believe is that that will have some sort of effect on reducing crime and violent crime on the streets. But the ETF is saying, and now granted, this is a small, this is, this is Maryland, Baltimore area specifically, you know, this is not a nationwide study, but, but still that's a pretty big, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting that 12 years is the time frame from when these guns were originally purchased to when they were used in a crime and the, and then, confiscated or collected for evidence from that crime 12 years so a three-day or a 30-day or even a year waiting period may not have any effect whatsoever on the gun that's being purchased at a gun store today and its relation to being used in a crime like that <laughs> i thought that was probably the biggest thing out of this whole thing i don't know how you spin that any other way yeah i mean for me the ultimate takeaway is where there's a will there's a way Oh, of course. Absolutely. 
Yep. Um, let's see here. Moving on now to, is this our first justified story? I think it is. No, this is a fun one. WSB TV Atlanta channel two reports. This business owner opens fire on four attempted burglars shooting one. And so there's four attempted burglars and one of them gets shot. And the irony here is that that one guy, poor guy, I, I do say poor guy because I don't know. He got shot four times. That hurts just a little bit. Okay, so here's the story. Uh, business owner, he apparently owned a uh, cell phone and electronics store. All right, and he didn't want to be identified. It's not like it'd be hard probably to figure out who he is. Uh, but anyway, he said that he opened fire on four attempted burglars who tried to smash their way into his store. He was asleep apparently inside. With and he ha- He was armed. I'm not sure. Maybe he sleeps there regularly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the store owner said that he woke up to finding people walking around his store, grabbing phones and computers. He grabbed his gun, afraid they might shoot at him. It doesn't say anything in this story, by the way, that he saw them with any sort of weapons. I don't know. I woke up. This is quoting him. I grabbed my pistol and I see people moving around. He told uh, Thomas, which is the news reporter dude. I put a bullet in the chamber of my pistol and screamed, nobody move. The owner says everyone ran. Police arrived in minutes and found Jackie's Maddox, age 20, lying on the ground with four bullet wounds. I'm not exactly sure how many times I shot him, but he kept on trying to get up. The store owner says he only shot at the suspects because he was defending himself. They could have killed me while I was sleeping. I was pushed into a corner. It's not something I wanted to do, but it, I did it instinctively because I have a family. Apparently, this young man that was uh, shot is a college student, uh, and he appeared in a courtroom on in a wheelchair. Uh, so there you go. I don't know. That's basically the story. Yeah. I, I, to me, there's missing details here because on the surface, the way I read it is <laughs> I'm asleep in a store that I own cause you know, I don't want to go home or I'm broke or I don't have a house or something. And I hear some glass break and I wake up, I look out into the, into the, show, the floor and I see people are stealing product and merchandise. I grab my gun and I start shooting at them and I hit one of them four times. That's, that's basically the fact pattern that I do keep shooting him because he keeps trying to get up. Right. Yeah. Like, that, I that's, don't, a, that's another part of the facts. Right. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly how many times I shot him, but he kept on trying to get up. Um, yep. So I don't, <laughs> I don't see anything here that would suggest that the man was justified in opening fire on these people. Um, and not to say it was illegal, but a very, you know, I, I don't, I don't know for sure all the Georgia laws, uh, if stand your ground applies to a business, for example, or whatever, but, I, I certainly would say in this case, I don't see any moral justification in randomly opening fire on four uh, burglars who, to the best of our knowledge, don't have any means of, of using lethal force. He says something like, they, they cornered me. Where, where is that little quote here? Yeah, he was forced into or pushed into a corner, it says here. Pushed into a corner. But that's metaphorical. If it was phys- if they actually grabbed him and pushed him into a corner, that would be one thing. But it, he's metaphorically suggesting that they just, you know, they cornered him, you know, that he had no other choice is what he's suggesting. I'm not so sure. I see that he, no verbal warnings were given. He didn't call no, in. He did. One. He said, nobody move. <laughs> oh, okay. Nobody move. Nobody and when they move. all started running for the, for the exit. That's when he starts shooting at them. That, that, that's kind of how I, that's, that's basically where, where, where I'm at with it. Jacob is that, uh, he says, nobody move. And then every, it, it, it is implied in the story that they start running away. And then he begins firing. Uh, now, there could be details missing. 
There's, there's no, I mean, that would not surprise me with the uh, quality of journalism that we frequently encounter on this podcast. But uh, that's kind of the way I read it is nobody move, everybody runs, he starts to shoot. Um, now, in many states, it, depending on, there's, the verbiage can be a little bit different, but generally speaking, in many, in most, I would say probably most states, meaning more than 50% of them, uh, that it's generally acceptable to use deadly force uh, in the case of a burglary. Now, but there may be some specifics relating to that as far as like you, you still, human is being threatened. Yeah, you still there still needs to be a threat to human life or something like that. Some do, some do not require that. Um, you'll need, you'll need to check the specifics of your statutes wherever you are located. So I don't, I can't, I'm not going to speak specifically to that. Other than from a like moral perspective, I have to use the same uh, uh, litmus test. You know that okay, is my life jeopardized at this moment? And uh, if I say nobody move, there's 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 some problems with that terminology. In fact, that's what I wanted to talk about with the relates with relation to this story, Jacob. Is the phrase "nobody move" is not one that I think we as civilian carrier concealed carriers should really be that familiar with. That there it doesn't really have a it, it has a place, but I think it's a very limited place uh, in. in what we might do or say as concealed carriers in a civilian oh, I couldn't agree sense. more, right? I mean, imagine, you know, a, a probably more tactical and ethical thing would be to draw the gun and be like, everybody run away! <laughs> you know, I know that sounds completely <laughs> But isn't that what we want to have happen? Don't we want them to run away? I mean, the, anything else? I mean, what, the implication here is that the, this person's objective was to shoot people. Well, you, know, he, he, if, you if, set if, yourself uh, up. You set yourself them from escaping. Right. You set yourself up for that when you say something like nobody move. Well, you have to finish that phrase, right? Or else what? Right? Like you see what I'm getting at? Like if you say if you have a gun in your hand and you say nobody move or don't move, now, like I said, I'll talk about what the what the specific use case I think would be for that. But if you say that, then you have to be willing to follow that up with, or else what, right? So this guy sets himself up for, like, he's basically committing himself to action. If, if, if people don't obey, nobody move, then what, what else has he got to do except to pull the trigger? Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That's the problem. Whether you, like... Are are thinking through this, reasoning your way through this situation like that or not, or or psychologically, you're just you are committing yourself. You are basically feeling obliged to do something because you said something and nobody complied. All right, so what's the use case for saying something like this? Don't move would probably be what would be more likely to be used. Well, that might be that someone is approaching you with a weapon and you can you 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 recognize the threat but you also have time to draw and get your own weapon out and at that point like you maybe could follow through with firing shots or but maybe you choose to say don't move and that would be implying you come any closer and I would follow it up with this by the way I'd say don't move you come any closer I you know I will have to be, I will have to defend myself sort of thing right but that's because you recognize a legitimate threat that's identifiable that's that's clear like you know dude with knife is coming towards me and i'm going to tell him don't move yeah but even in your use case i think there's better wordage things like stop 
sure. back off. Sure. Well, uh, don't come closer. Um, so anyway, we're, we're, we're maybe splitting hairs a little bit here. And I, I go on my own little rant about this topic in episode one of our podcast. <laughs> True. Um, That's a long time ago. That was a little while ago. <laughs> but uh, yep. yeah, we have to remember that in Jacob's opinion, the number one core biggest thing that separates us both ethically and legally from law enforcement is that we have neither the right or the ability to submit people to custody or prevent their escape. Yeah. There, there's Jacob's two cents. Yeah. We need to be focused on protecting and defending life and not preventing bad guys from getting away. Yeah. That's pretty much, you know, we've been consistent on that from day one on the podcast. All right. So that's the big lesson. You know, this dude probably is not going to be charged with anything as far as I can tell. And depending on statutes in the state, he may have been so-called justified in that situation because it was a burglary. And maybe there was a weapon present and the reporter failed to mention anything at all about a weapon, but nothing was articulated according to this article about that. And that, you know, so we don't know, we don't know what the facts are in, in, in their entirety, but, uh, still, yeah, and there's even a comment from Scott here, right or obligation, and, and I think that's kind of what we're getting at, right? Is like you have maybe what the law says you can or may do based on certain circumstances, but there's also this. But am I obligated to do that? Am I, you know, I, I, I have my own set of morals, and as much as possible, if my life or the life of a loved one or someone else is not in danger, then I want to try to avoid hurting somebody else. That's just mm-hmm. my nature. Well, and law enforcement has both the right and the obligation to society to attempt to submit people to custody and prevent their escape when they're criminals. Yeah, they got to arrest them. That's their job. Yeah, that 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 is that's yep. their job. That is not my job. Yep, it's not my responsibility. It's not my obligation. It's certainly not my right most of the time. Yep, we got to keep that. We got to keep that straight. Keep it clear. Out of uh, Oklahoma, Luther, Oklahoma, a teenager finds a pursuit suspect in truck holds her, I guess the uh, suspect, at gunpoint until authorities arrive. So we, just just on the heels <laughs> of us saying, don't hold somebody, uh, you know, or, or submit them to custody or, or prevent their escape. And yet here's a story that talks about that. Again, I'm curious about your analysis on this. Jacob, give us a rundown. What's the story here? So we have kind of a, a pursuit, law enforcement pursuing us a suspect. Um, it is it ends eventually with the suspect getting away. Long story short, suspect gets away. They give up the search after the course of an entire evening, like a night goes by and they're like, oh, we're just not going to find this person. The next morning you have a teenager who goes out to feed his cattle and he finds some person hiding in his truck. Okay. And it happens to be the suspect who had evaded capture from law enforcement the previous day. So the teenager um, holds this person at gunpoint until law enforcement arrives. And, you know, basically the gist from the story is all is well, good job, you know, awesomeness, pats on back. We got him. Uh, we got her in this case, but mm-hmm. so that that's, that's kind of the, the short of it. Now it, we don't have a lot of detail and this is a slightly different situation because if I open the truck, the door to my truck and there's a, a BG inside the truck does that, you know, I have essentially cornered the animal, right? Like the, the easiest means for that person to escape is through me, right? If they want a quick exit, it's through me. I mean, that, yeah. I suppose there are other doors to the vehicle they could, in theory, like crawl over and open that door and like jump out of. But it's, there's a different situation when I corner the animal, right? So, so I, I, I'm in that situation, I got a couple options. I could, in theory, draw the gun and say, 
hey, stop, don't don't come closer, whatever, and and hold, you know, and just stand there. And if the person doesn't move, like, great, I've succeeded essentially in keeping them there until law enforcement comes, even though I didn't do anything effectively to submit them to custody or prevent their escape. I'm merely protecting myself. I could also arguably uh, just like back off and be like, all right, listen, this is my truck, and I don't want you in my truck. Uh, now, if you come closer, I'm gonna have to shoot and kill you. But I'd really prefer it if you just get lost. So I'm gonna like go over there. And um, if you'll just run that way, that'd be great. But that doesn't sound very reasonable, does it? Like, can a person predictably do that in a way that is going to be safe? That That's a pretty hard thing to argue. So I, I think that it'd be easy for my attorney to go into court and say, Jacob felt that the only thing that he could do that was safe to him and, and the others in the immediate you know, vicinity was to maintain visual on the suspect and and to you know immediately ensure that they did not you know approximate themselves to Jacob. Yep. You know, another moral obligation that we owe to ourselves and or to our loved ones is that we limit risk and liability as much as possible, and that's the way I think of the, this this type of situation. Uh, you explained it very well. I'm going to use another example just to kind of show the two sides of it. A lot of times we have home invasion stories on the podcast where home intruder comes into the home and the homeowner, and typically most entries probably into homes are not like through the bedroom window where the homeowner is sleeping, right? It's probably through a back door or some other window that's in another part of the house where it's less risky for that criminal to, to make entry, right? Where they're le- more likely to be able to get in successfully uh, without alerting anybody. Okay, so most home invasions probably occur where the homeowner or the person defending themselves and or the home are in a position where the home intruder has a, a, a place they can escape through, right? Typically back the way they came. Right, but let's suppose you come home to a situation where you you don't even realize there's a home intruder until you you actually make it all the way into your home, all the way down your hallway, and into your bedroom, and you realize there's a home intruder in your bedroom. Right, that's a situation where they don't have an easy means of escape. They don't have. There's not a good way for you to let them get away uh, without potentially putting yourself at greater risk. And the, so the difference is if I come out of my bedroom and I encounter somebody at the other end of the hall or the, in the living room where they are closer to the exit door, then I should, if possible, let them, let them go, right? I shouldn't try to hold them at bay and, and keep them there and, and wait for cops to arrive. Now, many stories like that occur all the time and it works out in the, in the homeowner's favor and that the good on them. But in, but the the better the, the way that limits risk and liability for you is to let them escape. But on the flip side, this is a tactical thing. If you have the bad guy cornered, it is it the, the way to limit risk and liability is by keeping them from going, you know, from keeping them from getting any closer to you. For you to allow them to escape it potentially means that they have to get they have, you, you have to increase your contact with that person unless you are able to really back way off okay and that's not always reasonable or safe to do so that's the difference here 
potentially, right? Now, the other thing I think is really interesting about the story, Jacob, is that this this teen, he's a, they describe him as a teen. Now, he could be 19, and technically we still might call him a teen. <laughs> and I have seen some news stories where an 18-year-old, they, they call a teen. Uh, but, you know, it's not unusual either in rural areas for a, a 15 or 16-year-old boy, especially that's working on a farm, to carry a 22 you know rifle with them around. Sure, or whatever, right? Rattlesnakes so, or something. But it's just I I thought that was interesting that this is a they they just a, a described teen that apparently has a gun with them and is able to uh, pr- protect themselves from. I mean, this could have been bad. Like if if this teen had not been more alert and aware, and I suspect this happened early early in the morning. And it might might even be kind of dark and stuff out. Um, at least that's how I read this. You know, there he's going out to feed cattle. Well, that's you feed cattle early in the morning, five five thirty in the morning, and uh, sometimes it's not even light yet. So if this teen hadn't been a little more observant, uh, paying attention, he could have very easily got into that truck and uh, been kidnapped or carjacked or or injured. So uh, good on him for being alert and aware and also apparently able to defend himself because he was carrying a gun. So just a lot, a lot of good things there. Jacob yeah. says, Ditto. yeah, all right. <laughs> I never know what you're thinking, bud. All right. So um, Cooper City woman chases, shoots at car burglars Miami.cbs.local or cbslocal.com. Um, I'm, I'm jumping over that. Uh, well, no, I, there's actually a reason I wanted to talk about that story. We'll come back to that one in just a second. Cooper City woman chases, shoots at car burglars. Ring video shows a shadowy figure trying to get into a car in Cooper City, then running off. This is in uh, Florida, Cooper City, Florida. Moments later, that person may have tried again, choosing the wrong house. He was confronted by a federal agent with Customs and Border Protection, and she was armed. Apparently, she then fired shots at this suspect, as, and he fired back. Uh, and th- this happened early in the morning. It says it was just after 5 a.m. She was exiting her home when she encountered a car burglar, and she interrupted that. Now, she is a law enforcement officer of some sort, so... You know, because this guy starts to uh, run, and she chased after him. And she oh, may, that's the best part. Yeah, that so she may very well have that right to do so, even though she sure. might not be officially on duty. Uh, but she's a federal agent, and she likely has arrest powers. I, I'm presuming that. Now, then, not not all agents necessarily do, but I presume that she has the right to submit him to custody, and a crime has been committed in her presence, and thus that's what she is going to do. But in the process of her chasing after the suspect, he turned and shot at her, and she returned fire. So a number of shots were fired, but what was fascinating is that no one was injured in the course of that fire uh, taking place, those rounds being fired. So that that was where I came up with the title of today's episode. Federal agent shoots at thief, but misses. Um, I I just think that's interesting. It's also relevant that um, if this had not been a law enforcement officer at all, Arguably, this would be legal because most states do allow you to affect a citizen's arrest uh, without the use of deadly force, right? In, including here in Colorado, I, if I saw someone tr- actively trying to break into a car, I can I can jump on them and put them in a headlock uh, and and hold them for law enforcement. I can do that. I just can't threaten them with a gun. Uh, well, you could if if in the process of you doing that, they start trying to hurt you. <laughs> well, that's where I'm getting at, right? So if I see someone's trying to break into a car. 
and I say, hey, cut that out. And I want to affect a citizen's arrest. So I'm chasing you down the road. My intent is just to tackle you and hold you with my ever so you know, bulging biceps until law enforcement shows up. That's arguably legal in most states. Okay. Um, now I couldn't right. chase you down the road and shoot in the air and say, stop, or I'm going to shoot you. But that's not, that's not what this person does. It just says that there was a brief foot chase. And then here's the key. The suspect turned and shot at her, meaning the good guy, right? The BG shot is the first person to take shots. Now the situation has changed. Now it's like, oh, you know, I was just going to tackle you and put you in a headlock, but you're shooting at me now. So I'm no longer you know, trying to affect a citizen's arrest, I am now just defending myself from gunshots. So I'm going to draw my gun and return fire. So this could be argued, in my opinion, as being very you know, legally justified, regardless of, the, of mm-hmm. the good guy being a law enforcement officer or not. But there's definitely a good lesson to be learned here. And that is that, you know, you never would be taking gunfire if you weren't chasing this person down the street to begin with, right? If we just let them go, then we wouldn't be taking gunfire. And I love, Andrew Branko loves to say something to the effect of, anytime you enter into an engagement, you you immediately, how does he always say it? Something like, you increase your odds above zero of, of, of dying or something like that, right? And For so sure. it's always better to not be engaged because your odds then of survival are much higher. You know, your odds drop the second you enter into an engagement. So if I'm chasing someone down the street, even though I may not think they're going to turn around and shoot at me, and I have no intention of using my gun, uh, my odds of survival have just dropped because of what I'm what I'm choosing to do, which is a, a, effectively to chase this person down to prevent them from committing more criminal acts. Right. So you may very well be okay with trying to arrest this person. And in many states where they have citizens arrest laws, that crime must be something that's committed in your presence that you witness. Like you can't. It, it's rather specific, and that, that makes sense, right? You know, I mean, I. I don't think it would make sense for you to to hear hearsay and go, "Oh, I'm going to go arrest this person now." Like you got to see it happen. You got to you know be a witness to that and know that what what was that what occurred was in fact a law being broken. That would be the big risk, by the way, of citizens' rest. Uh, and I think we talked about this in, in episode three. Actually, now that I think about it, um, that would be the the big problem with affecting a citizen's arrest is if you get it wrong as far as what you think was a crime that was being committed wasn't in fact a crime being committed. And now you could be charged with, with perhaps uh, unlawful uh, arrest or um, uh, what's the other term? Jacob, help me out here. Aggravated assault with the deadly weapon. Well, that yeah, if it came into the picture, right? I mean, so yeah. Anyway, just it's it's always better to avoid. <laughs> it's always a better to avoid this kind of situation in the first place. So I just thought it was really interesting that uh, you know this is a uh, federal agent. Uh, I don't know what her level of training or expertise is. I don't even know what her job description is, but apparently she carries a gun and uh, she was fired at and she returned fire. Uh, But she failed to uh, uh, stop, or at least I guess she stopped him in that he stopped trying to fire at her, I suppose. Okay, I guess that's the goal. But if you miss rounds, that's kind of a bad thing as well. Uh, Someone commented that uh, every every round, you know, uh, carries in it, you know, with it, what was it? liability or carries within an attorney or whatever. Right. You know? So yeah, we just don't want to miss. Ex UFC fighter, Dean Lister. I was going to kind of skip over the story, but there's something I think of interest in this story. All right. Ex UFC fighter, Dean Lister pulls gun on home intruder and crazy standoff. And the reason I was going to skip it was because some of the details just don't, there's something that just doesn't seem like it quite adds up here. 
Um, some of the quotes from Mr. Lister are kind of seem a little bit off as well, but here's why I'm sharing the story. And I'm going to go ahead and share my screen, those that are participating via uh, Facebook Live today, uh, because I want you to take a look at this guy. And those of you that are listening, you go to the show notes, uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 251. And I want you to just take a, take a look at this guy. All right. This is, I don't know if it's fair to say this is your typical home intruder, <laughs> but it's probably not, uh, I'm sure this is not entirely that unusual, right? This dude, when I first saw this image, Jacob, I was like, he looks like an alien. <laughs> so describe him, Riley. <laughs> okay, he's super, super skinny, uh, like skin and bones, practically. He has a very thin, narrow, elongated head. Uh, his eyes are big, like and and kind of set in, you know, into the sockets. Like he just he looks sick, right? He he's he's obviously got to be some sort of drug user. All right. Um he's wearing boxer briefs. That's all he's wearing as far as we can tell. So he's shirtless. Uh he's tatted he's tatted up. He's got tats all over and he just looks sick. He looks I honestly like when I first scrolled down I was like, "Whoa, what is what's what's going on here?" And I'm like, "Of course Carl- Riley wouldn't mention that he's also bald, you know, cuz that's relevant." Oh, see, like I'm so used to looking at you know my bald self that it, that yeah, it, it, <laughs> that's normal so, in my world. <laughs> here's, here's a rough uh, storyline. So, 42 uh, year old Lister, who is the MMA fighter or ex fighter, I guess, mm-hmm. arrives at a San Diego house around 8 p.m. on Saturday when he notices this tatted up bald dude inside his kitchen. <laughs> okay, now the bad guy, the BG, says that he thought the house was a church. <laughs> That's a poor excuse. <laughs> Criminals can do better than that. Um, now, when Lister continues to press on him, like, no, seriously, like, this isn't a church. Why are you here? The BG picked up a hammer in a really threatening method. Picking up a hammer about anyway is probably pretty threatening under the circumstances. And so Lister then draws a sidearm, and the BG stops advancing toward him. And then, quote, this is what Lister says, I let him escape together with his life by a window. So... I think that's uh, you know when I when I look at the whole you know the totality of the circumstances, uh, I'd I'd say that Lister probably performed relatively well here. No, I, I yeah I agree with you there. I said some of the things that he said just seemed a little bit off, but um, yeah, it, it's so true. I, I've got the video here rolling so you can see, and the video stops right as this guy. You see him in a second here. He's going to grab the hammer, and he kind of starts coming or or turning towards Lister here. He's got the hammer in his hand and the video cuts right there. And I don't know if that's because Lister all of a sudden went, uh, oh crap and dropped or turned on, you know, stopped his phone and then went and grabbed his gun or whatever. But, um, oops, I didn't mean to hit that button. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a frightening, shocking video. This dude is obviously not, he, he doesn't seem like he's right mentally or he's just really heavily under the influence of some sort of drug uh, or other uh, means of influence and uh, is not thinking coherently. Um, and that's the scary thing, right? People do crazy things when they're not thinking right or thinking straight. Um, Lister, I think, did a remarkable job as far as not, I mean, allowing him to escape. At the same time, my, my concern would be that, like, was he afraid to use deadly force potentially? I mean, this guy started turning towards you with a hammer. I'll tell you, this could have gotten out of hand really fast. I mean, he is arm's length, maybe a little more distance away from this guy. And at the time that the dude starts coming at him with a hammer, it, to me, it looks like he's pretty close to arm's length. So 
you know, if you're in this kind of situation, you, you need to get your, you need to maintain your distance from this intruder like this. Okay. You got to maintain your distance because it could have, it could have just gone south so, so, so fast. Interestingly enough, he says here, cops mentioned, I used, I used to be legally good if I killed him. That's where I was saying, like, just there's some phrases in this article that just make no sense. Cops mentioned I used to be legally good if I killed him. Yeah. Huh? I mean, could I, be that he actually said that and he's, and he, you know, can't talk good. <laughs> or it could be that our journalist, can't, you know, has got a lot of typos in here. Well, there was, there was another phrase too. It said, the person was tremendous sketchy, not tremendously sketchy, tremendous sketchy. <laughs> Work. Anyway, so uh, yeah, he probably would have been justified to use uh, deadly force in the situation, um, but uh, he didn't. And whether because of his own personal beliefs or morals or whatever or values that that told him, that, or he just felt like this guy wasn't actually going to po- pose a threat to him. But at the same time, I think the big lesson to be learned is number one: this is oftentimes the kind of person you might encounter. All right, uh, and just be aware of that. That that this 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 is the picture of. A home intruder, all right? And that doesn't mean they all look like this, but there's definitely been a number. We've had stories where guys have broken into someone's home and they're completely naked, right? And they're just insane, okay? So just know that even if you try to talk to this individual and try to get them to reason with you and leave or comply with something, you, you can't expect that to be the case. This guy is talking to him in a very calm voice, asking him what he's doing, why he's here, explaining, hey man, this is not a church, this is not what you're looking for. But yet through all of that, this dude still picks up a hammer and acts like he might end up using it against him. So just know those things. I think those are some really good takeaways. KSL.com reports, speaking of naked intruders, <laughs> naked intruder shot by Iron County Homeowner Authority say, uh, this happened in uh, Old Iron Town in Iron County, Utah. Uh, this is kind of in the St. George area. It's down the southern part of the state. So a St. George man is in custody after authorities say he was shot while trying to break into an Iron County home while naked Tuesday afternoon. Iron County Sheriff's deputies reported a report of a burglary in pro- progress. Uh, they then responded, and apparently the story goes that 24-year-old man kicked the front door in and encountered an elderly couple that lived there. He was then shot multiple times by one of these elderly homeowners at some point during the burglary attempt. Uh, so pretty quick uh, story here. <laughs> uh, he was shot multiple times and it says that they attempted to take him into custody. And so apparently, I don't know how bad those wounds are, but he was still going. And when deputies arrived, they tried to detain him with taser and even multiple attempts with a taser did not uh, stop him. So, which is interesting because a lot of times when we see failed taser deployments, Jacob, we see them fail because of, of a clothing issue, a jacket or something. And we don't get good contact on the body so that, that you know, taser is able to work to full effect. This dude's naked. <laughs> There's no yeah, reason why the, that it was working. Yeah. Right, right. Here's a paragraph that our friend Andrew Branca would love to read out loud. It says, this is quoting the authorities. It says, it looks like it was all in defense of themselves, referring to the homeowners who, who fired the shots. With their age and their disabilities, they were in fear for their lives. They were scared something was going to happen, end quote. So. Yeah. You know, basically, the officer is saying here that you know their age and their disabilities were factors in their perception of the threat and why they felt like they needed to defend themselves. Which, 
is, is a valid, you know, viable consideration. Yeah, I, I think so. Absolutely. The standard is relatively low in Utah and Colorado and other states as far as uh, u- the use of deadly force when inside the home, right? And uh, as far as like in Colorado, the statute reads that you have someone's made unlawful entry in a home, right? And uh, basically, if you feel that you're that, that you or another person in that home, another occupant of that home is in any way in, in any sort of physical danger, potential physical danger of that intruder, you basically can use deadly force. Now, I'm not saying that's what you got to do or what you have to do or should do, but but that's basically, the standard is fairly low and there's no duty to retreat in those kind of situations. Um, I definitely think age comes into, you know, comes into play here. You have a 24-year-old man, he's probably very able-bodied, and you got a couple of I don't know seventy or eighty or older year old people. Um, home invasion is is going to be very frightening for them. I don't know. Yep. Um. All right, so let's get down to our final story here. Knife wielding man attacks. Uh, this actually happened right here in Colorado too. This was interesting. I didn't even hear about this one. Matthew was who brought this to my attention. Uh, Fountain, Colorado, knife wielding man attacks driver of a bus, causes the Greyhound bus to crash. Uh, quite quite considerable damage to this bus. You can see some images here in the story. Uh, a knife wielding man was taken into custody after a Greyhound bus headed to Denver crashed on Monday night. The crash happened about 7 p.m. on northbound I-25. Police said 47-year-old man was threatening the driver and the other 26 passengers with a knife. He gained access into the secured area of the bus. I don't know what that means. I've never been. A, I haven't been on a Greyhound bus in. Well, I, in my mind, I picture it like a, like an airplane. Like the the driver must be kind of in his own little secured area. It, does know? he have like a little cage he's sitting in nowadays? I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm know, familiar but- with the yellow line, and it's it's against federal transportation whatever law to stand in front of the yellow line, but. Well, he must have his own, like, <laughs> closed-off area. <laughs> secured uh, and all. Anyway, so secured, I, I, to me, I, that's how I read this, is that he went forward of the yellow line. I don't know. He tried to attack the driver while purposely grabbing the steering wheel, causing it to crash. Another passenger then confronted the man, at which point the suspect broke out a window and got out of the bus. After getting out, he was then confronted by a passerby, and this was really interesting, who was armed with a gun. After seeing the gun, the suspect dropped the knife and remained at the scene until law enforcement arrived. Wow. That's like classic good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a knife. Um, you know, you got, this is quite a scene, you know, initial suspect on a bus with 27 people, including a driver, a tax driver, crashes bus. And it's not even one of the passengers on that bus. It's a passerby that sees this whole craziness going on somehow interprets what's going on, sees a man with a knife and pulls out his gun and puts a stop to it. Doesn't have to fire a shot. Even it's crazy. Yeah. yeah very, very well done. Frankly, right? Like props to, to our gun owner in this case, no, no injuries, by the way, no one was stabbed by the BG and the gun owner was able to stop the threat without firing any shots. Yeah. And apparently nobody was injured from uh, the bus. It crashed into a guardrail. This is on I-25. So they're probably moving pretty, pretty good. Speed limit there is uh, it's at least sixty five. Yeah, yeah, right, probably. Yeah, so cra- craziness here. I, you know, so 
the only thing I could think of too, Jacob, is I as I read this story and as as I try to think about how this develops, is this person has to be also like mentally unhinged in some way to do this. Like what else? What what is the motivation? You know, it's not. It doesn't appear to be a robbery. It doesn't appear to be a sexual assault. Like the motive just has to be something completely irrational that I want to attack this bus driver and crash the bus. I don't think it was a terroristic thing. I think he's just, this dude is just crazy. And we had the naked intruder that we just talked about, you know, being shot at that home in Utah. We had the other dude at the ex-MMA fighter's house that obviously was hopped up on something. The fact is, oh, that was another point to that last story too, is the taser not being effective. Um, When we're dealing with crazy people, or people that are under the influence of drugs. And that could be the case even in this bus incident. Um, we have to be prepared for all sorts of possibilities because they may not respond to commands. They may not respond to tasers. They may not respond to OC spray. They may not respond to even being shot because that dude was shot and tased and still was putting up a fight over there in Utah. Fortunately, in this case for these uh, bus passengers, there was somebody that was passing by that had a gun. And fortunately, this crazy dude went, mm, I don't want to get shot today. Hmm. Well put, Riley. Well, you got anything else, brother? Well, I was going to read some recent uh, reviews on iTunes. Do it. Okay. So here, dude, here's a recent review. Our most recent review, three out of five stars, bro. So this Crap. person yeah, that says, could be better. That's the name of the review. And the person's username, the usernames are my favorite part of reading these. This person is Cutter Edge. Cutter with a K. All right, Cutter cool. Edge. Cutter Edge says, there was a lot of advertisements before the show, and it was not really informative for concealment purposes. So Cutter Edge, I apologize that you feel that we have too many advertisements before the show. Um, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, Maybe we'll try and space them out or something. Like we, we're going to have advertisements. That's a thing because it takes time, energy, and resources to make the podcast. Um, as to it really not being informative for consumer purposes, uh, I definitely apologize if you felt that way. Our might be our you know, our Tuesday episodes are more news oriented. So if that's what you listen to, that's you know maybe try one of our later in the week episodes. But we'll try and be better. All right, here's the next one. This one is from. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Oh, hold you, on. you have comments. Yeah, yeah. I, I was right, just gonna say, I was just gonna tell him that he needs to tune in on Thursday this week, okay? Uh, where we will be doing the Ultimate Concealed Carrier's Guide, Part Two. Beginners, yeah. Ultimate Beginners Concealed Carry thank, Guide. Thank you. Part two. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Ultimate yeah. Beginners Concealed Carry Guide, Part Two. We did a Part One like a hundred episodes ago, and I know that when we did that, we called it Part One because we knew we were going to do a Part Two, and we. Didn't get around to it till now. Yeah. You, funny, funny enough, too. You and I hadn't even talked about it necessarily, and I was already kind of thinking about doing it. And then we were talking last week, and you were like, "You, yeah." So we were kind of on the same wavelength on that. Yeah, and uh, so tune in on Thursday. That one will be much more concealed carry focused. It'll be more informative to concealment purposes. There, there you go. And yes. also, uh, Cutter Edge, go go back and and review all of our episodes. We've done tons of episodes that are uh, concealment purpose oriented, but uh, we definitely kind of think a little bit broader than just, you know, like if we talked about 
Jacob, what's the best way to conceal your gun at four o'clock this week? We'd get really bored and sick of this podcast in a in a downright hurry, so we we definitely have to go outside of that sometimes. So <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, Cutter Edge. Cutter Edge. Yep, appreciate it. All right, here's a five out of five stars. Uh, the title of this review is "Great Podcast!" Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! And this one is by I think I'm gonna call it C. Matthews. Okay. C. Matthews. Yeah. C. M. A. T. H. Y. S. Work on your usernames. Okay. C- Come on. C. Math. Yeah. It's got to be C. Matthews. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and the review says, I love the podcast. I am a new Guardian Nation member and have been trying to catch up on old episodes. You learn something on every podcast. So glad to hear that. Thank you so much for joining Guardian Nation as well. That makes it easier for us to keep doing this. Uh, here's the last one I'm going to review. This one is from August 17th. The title of the review is awesome exclamation mark five out of five stars. And this one is by soccer kid, soccer kid, 37 HH. Once again, apparently, we got to work on those usernames. Apparently soccer kid, 37 H <laughs> was already taken. So they, they, they picked the username soccer kid, 37 HH. And the review is nothing but informational. I'm a 21-year-old who is new to concealing and have learned tons of information and tips from this podcast. Soccer Kid 37HH, I am so glad to hear that. We will continue to do our best to provide tons of information and tips. I was just thinking, Jacob, uh, on Saturday I went to this event here locally called Denver Gun Days. And uh, uh, it was it was pretty interesting because one of the things that was taking place at that event was the announcement of an organization that uh, uh, I think that has some merit to it. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about this again some, sometime in the future. I don't know. Uh, we'll see where it leads. But uh, it's called Walk the Talk America. And the whole idea is to bring gun rights and, you know, gun people and mental health people together. Uh, and and hopefully try to find some solutions that make sense for both gun supporters, gun owners, and also addressing some of the mental health issues. And we just I just got done talking about how there's all these crazy people out there. And this Jacksonville shooting was apparently done by a dude with a mental health history of some sort. Uh, so you know what can we do as an industry and as a mental health industry to come together? And find solutions. And I think that's something that I'm glad to hear that there's an organization like this starting up. But anyway, I went there just to kind of check it out, see what was going on. And I met, while I was there, there was you know, a handful of people, two people that came up and said they were podcast listeners. And I, I was really excited. So if, who, uh, let's see, one of you was named Winters, and the other, I, th- I think the other was Steve, if I got that right. So to you two, gentlemen, if you're, if you're listening... I'm glad we were able to connect. I was I was happy to meet you, as I'm happy to meet any podcast listeners anytime, anywhere. Uh, I appreciate you all, and I appreciate those of you that take the time to leave a review. Um, it's it's yeah. helpful, and it's good leave to hear feedback. Reviews. Winters, Winters, by the way, had really great feedback for me. I'm, uh, as it relates, you know, good, positive, uh, helpful uh, feedback, and so feedback. yes, constructive. So that was that was good, right? We'll take it anyway. So. so yeah. Leave us a review. Make sure that uh, you, you ping us there on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the podcast. And look for us in Richmond, Virginia, uh, coming mm. up later in September. We will be there for the, oh, I guess mid-September, for the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Yeah, it's like the 14th, 15th, 16th or something like, like that. 13, 14, yeah. Right around like that. that time. Yeah, whatever weekend those dates land on, that's that's the weekend that the NRA Carry Guard Expo occurs. Richmond, Virginia, if you're anywhere in the vicinity, uh, come and say hello. And I don't know, are we going to be podcasting there at all? Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know either. Haven't even thought about it. <laughs> maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Uh, but probably, we'll be there. Probably would make sense if we did something, but... Yeah, uh, we will definitely be there. So look for us. Uh, we'll, we'll be either be in our concealedcarry.com shirts or we'll be wearing a Guardian Nation shirt or maybe I'll even manage to get my hands on one of those Guardian, those 2018 Guardian Nation hats, Jacob. Maybe. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Don't count on it. <laughs> okay. All right, folks, thanks for joining us for this episode. Hope it was uh, helpful for you. Uh, just a reminder that uh, today's episode was made possible. Yes, I got to mention it. And by the way, we mentioned those sponsors out at the beginning to get them out of the way. Not that like we'd want to, you know, like <laughs> that sounds bad, right? No, but like I think we prefer Jacob not having it spaced throughout to interrupt the show. Like we get, we're going to mention who the sponsors are and then we're going to do the show and then we're going to give them one last shout out and say goodbye. I like that formula. I hope everybody else does. You know what? You can always skip the first five minutes or whatever. If you want, knock yourself out. Anyway, today's episode made possible by frag out flavor. Check out this, these great flavoring uh, products from frag out flavor, supporting veteran, a veteran owned business and supporting veterans organizations. Head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash frag out and check out the, what was it? The, the active, the armed citizen armed, package. Armed citizens top selling package. blends, rubs, and spices, as well as some other goodies. Sounds awesome. And also citizen armor with a special discount at this time, concealedcarry.com forward slash citizen armor. C-I-T-I-Z-E-N-A-R-M-O-R. Concealedcarry.com forward slash citizen armor. Use podcast 10 to save 10%. And that's that's worthwhile for sure. They got some great products. And also, don't forget, we hope to see you Guardian Nation members Thursday evening, 7 p.m. with John Lovell of Warrior Poet Society. Well, with that, we're going to check out Jacob. Oh, dropping my stuff here. Have a good one, sir. Peace out. Train right and train often so you, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. <laughs> kind of a struggle with this episode today, Jacob. But we got through it. Everybody, take good care. Job, <laughs> Have a good one. Be safe out there. We'll see you Thursday. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws. But things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.